0: The History of the Old Brick Church podcast is brought to you by St. Luke's Historic Church and Museum, located in Smithfield, Virginia. As a museum and historic site, St. Luke's focuses on the development of religious freedom and the early American religious experience.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to History from the Old Brick Church podcast a podcast of St. Luke's Historic Church and Museum, located in beautiful Smithfield, Virginia. We're a museum of the oldest church building in Virginia. My name is John Erickson. I'm your host and the education coordinator here at St. Luke's. And we would love for you to review and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. Today, we're going to start a new series that we're calling Stories from the Newport Parish. So we're going to change up our usual format of interviewing scholars and public historians and others and just tell some stories. We'll continue to do interviews as they arise, but we'd like to share some interesting stories surrounding our old brick church in both the 17th and 18th centuries. They won't be told in any particular chronological order. We're going to be going back and forth in time just a bit, and we're going to start with the story. Of one of the ministers of the Newport parish by the name of John Cam and a controversy that arose in the mid-1750s, known as the Two Penny Acts. But to set this story up, I want to talk a little bit about the situation of the established Church of England and the colony of Virginia. When the colonists arrived in Jamestown in 1607, they assumed that the established Church of England was enforced in the colony just as it was back home in England, but they never bothered to officially establish, as it was primarily an economic venture, the Virginia Company. But they did send the Reverend Robert Hunt along with them to ensure that the teachings and preachings of the Anglican Church were part of this new venture, and that he might tend to the spiritual needs of the colonists. And early on, they enforced church laws, About things like worship attendance and later the tithe, which was a church tax, taxing for the purposes of the functioning of the church, including the salaries of ministers. In each church building, they would post a series of laws called the Constitutions and Canons Ecclesiastical of 1604, a series of laws that was meant to control the behavior of the colonists. These were laws like Laws against profaning the name of God or rejecting the king's supremacy in matters of religion, or even disrespecting the Book of Common Prayer, just to name a few. If you violated these laws, you could get excommunicated, which meant not just being separated from the church, but also from your rights to be able to vote or hold public office. Later laws would mandate church attendance at once per month and mandatory use of the Book of Common Prayer under Governor Barclay. But to really set up this story, we have to talk about the relationship between the clergy and the laity. It was difficult to establish the Anglican Church in Virginia with no bishops. In the Anglican tradition, bishops play a very important role, including the ordination of clergy. And so without bishops, there was a shortage of clergy throughout the entire colonial period. And initially, when there was a vacancy in one of the parishes, the royal governor would have the authority to name the new minister. But soon there arose a desire among the various parishes to wrestle that power away from Jamestown and to have more local autonomy. This was a big issue throughout the 17th century in Virginia and played a part of the dynamic that led to rebellion in 1676. The rebellion known as Bacon's Rebellion. But eventually, the vestries, the local parish church boards, had the right to name their own clergy. And the wardens, the head of the vestries, also had the power to act as prosecuting attorneys at the general court each summer to prosecute any moral violations that came with severe civil penalties. So there was always a tension between church and the average colonist. The goal of the church in many ways was to control behavior, keep down rebellion, and to extend empire. And the clergy coming over from England took an oath of loyalty to the monarch as the head or the governor of the church. So the established church and the clergy were often seen as having more power than perhaps the average colonist might like. And the salaries of the ministers were set, interestingly enough. By the House of Burgesses. And a conflict arose in the mid 1750s around the salaries of the ministers that was tied to the tobacco product. An act of 1748 had set clergy salaries at 16,000 pounds of tobacco. The problem arose seven years later during a time of drought. The first two penny act came about as the colonists were embroiled in the French and Indian War, which later became part of the larger European war known as the Seven Years' War. Wars require revenue. And during this conflict in 1755, there was a severe drought, which made the supply of tobacco smaller while demand was still very high. This raised the price of tobacco and subsequently the potential for clergy salaries to rise far above what the average parishioner might believe they could afford. In steps Richard Bland, a member of the House of Burgesses, who introduced a bill to cap the price of clergy salaries at two pence per pound of tobacco, hence the Two Pennies Act. This was to be in effect for 10 months, just long enough to see the colony through this challenging time of war and weather. But Some of the clergy protested because the price of tobacco was going for sixpence per pound, and they wanted to see their coffers raised. Now, not many clergy protested, but seven did, including our Reverend John Cam, who once was a minister of the Newport Parish and our old brick church from 1745 to 1749. But by this time, he was a member of the faculty at the College of William & Mary, and a rector in York County.
0: St. Luke's Historic Church and Museum shares stories from the early American religious experience and the movement towards religious freedom. St. Luke's is a 501c3 nonprofit which relies heavily on public charitable contributions. In order to continue quality programming, like the History from the Old Brick Church podcast, your support is crucially important. Visit us at stluksmuseum.org donate for more information about St. Luke's and to make a donation. Thank you for your support.
1: The seven clergymen protesting went to the Bishop of London, who was considered the diocesan head of the Virginia colony. But little came of the complaint, and with so few clergy objecting, the first two Penny act simply expired in 1756. But two years later, in 1758, A second act was introduced, this time on the basis of some spring freezes that also damaged the crop. The war continued to rage, and a minister by the name of Jacob Rao, in the presence of some burgesses, asked the question of how many burgesses should be hanged, and added that he would not commune any burgess who voted for the act. Rao was censured by the Burgesses, had to apologize and pay a fine. But this was hardly the end of the controversy. Anglican clergy were already chafing at the number of Englishmen coming into the colony who were part of these dissenter groups. And much of their argument against the Second Two Penny Act was couched in terminology that suggested that there was a broad conspiracy to undermine the clergy and thereby the established church and the royal prerogative. The Reverend John Cam was elected by a delegation of irate Anglican clergy to represent them to the Privy Council in London. Cam set off to do so and gained a hearing with His Majesty King George II. The king and the Privy Council agreed with Cam, but the difficulty of getting an audience with the king And subsequent time to get the proper letters to be presented back to the Virginia governor took time. By the time Cam arrived back in Virginia, the second Two Penny Act had already expired. Now the test would be to see if this favorable action on the part of the king and the privy council towards the clergy would amount to back pay for the clergy. Cam gained an audience with the newly instated royal governor, Francis Fauquier. Fauquier found Cam to be exceedingly arrogant and insolent, and groused that Cam had defamed him back in London. He ordered his enslaved servants to take a good look at Cam and to never allow him access to an audience at the governor's palace ever again, considered a great insult. What followed was a series of pamphlets written by Cam and his opponents in the House of Burgesses, most notably Richard Bland. Cam's work in 1763, a single and distinct view of the act vulgarly entitled the Two-Penny Act. In this, Cam referred to Bland and another pamphleteer, Landon Carter, as the Colonels. He derisively suggested that the views of the Colonels undermined the King's authority, damaged the church, and benefited only the wealthy elites. Bland in his pamphlet, the Colonel Dismounted or the Rector Vindicated, examined the rights of the colony in terms of internal affairs. He suggested that in matters beyond the colony, external affairs, the Crown and the Parliament would, of course, have authority. But in regards to internal matters, the colonists would be free to tend to those issues themselves, including issues like the salaries of ministers. It was a fairly radical suggestion, and one that might even be seen as the spark of revolutionary spirit. The pamphlet wars continued while lawsuits brought by the clergy played out in the courts, the most famous of which has become known as the Parsons Cause. The Reverend James Maury brought suit in Hanover County, even though he served in Louisa County. He thought he'd get a fairer trial in Hanover. The opposite was the case. In the first phase of the case, the court ruled in favor of Maury and suggesting that he was in fact entitled to back pay. But the second phase is the one that has become most memorable. In this phase, In order to determine damages. The defendants, the tax collectors, were represented by a brash 27-year-old attorney by the name of Patrick Henry. The judge was none other than Colonel John Henry, Patrick Henry's own father. And the sheriff of Hanover County, a Sheriff Tompkins, stacked the jury with dissenters, who he was sure would have an antipathy for Anglican clergy and the established Church of England. Patrick Henry argued that the king interfering in such matters had made himself a tyrant. Strong words that struck a chord with the stacked jury. It took them only five minutes to decide that the compensation for Reverend Maury should be a single penny. Tan continued to press matters with the crown and the Privy Council, but to no avail. The Council, wishing to appear conciliatory to these disgruntled colonists, simply allowed the matter to drop. But in the years that followed, the Stamp Act, the Townshend Acts, and other efforts to pay for the debts of the war with France added to the colonists' growing resentment. John Cam went on to become the president of the College of William and Mary, but was removed during the Revolutionary War because of his loyalist leanings. The legacy of the Two-Penny Acts and the fierce opposition of the clergy like John Cam was perhaps the birth pangs of the Revolutionary War. Richard Bland went on to write his most famous pamphlet in 1766 in the wake of the Stamp Acts, called An Inquiry into the Rights of the British Colonies. In this tract, he adamantly held that the colonies had the right to have representation in matters such as taxation, hence the eventual motto during the Revolution of "No taxation without representation." Plan would also be part of those delegates from Virginia who passed the Virginia Resolution that was adopted by the Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia on July the second, seventeen seventy six. Resolved that these United Colonies are of right and ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from their allegiance to the British crown and that any political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, that it is expedient forthwith to take the most effectual measures for forming foreign alliances, that a plan of confederation be prepared and transmitted to the respective colonies for the consideration and approbation. Land went on to die in October of 1776, but played a very important role in fanning the flames of the revolution. If this story was interesting to you and you would love to hear more from us, we'd like for you to again to review and subscribe on your local platforms. You can also register for a free lecture that will be held on December 16th on Religion and the American Revolution given by yours truly. You can register at stlukesmuseum.org under the Attend tab. December 16th will be the 250th anniversary of another act of dissent known as the Boston Tea Party. We hope you'll join us for that and that you'll tune in again for our next story from the Newport Parish on History from the Old Brick Church. Thanks for listening.
0: To learn more about St. Luke's Historic Church and Museum, please visit stlukesmuseum.org.